perfect is impossible. So let's strive for better and betterer. Tune in for inspiration and many challenges across the eight dimensions of wellness, emotional, physical, intellectual, spiritual, vocational, financial, environmental, and social. We make wellness fun and attainable so that you can feel awesome and do awesome. Hello and welcome to the Better and Betterer podcast. My name is Jade Dadas, your new co-host. Today, in this interview, we're going to be exploring some questions with Michael Sapiro, clinical psychologist, former Buddhist monk. Michael is a really incredible and amazing soul. I saw him speak at an event in San Diego called Consciousness Hackers. Shout out to all the CHers over there. And I just wanted to hear more about what he had to say. In this interview, we explore things that are high level and things that are practical and I think you're really going to enjoy checking it out. Good morning, Michael. How are you doing today? I'm great. Good. Had a nice run, met with a friend, and uh, started the day off well. Thank you. Oh, great. Okay, so I'm in not-so-sunny San Diego. Where are you checking in from? I'm checking in from pretty sunny Boise, Idaho. Oh, hello. Yeah. Wonderful. Yeah, it's going to be pretty hot. It gets hot here, so I, I run earlier and take take my dog out early because it can get really overwhelmingly hot for us here. Oh, that's so great. Well, I so appreciate you coming on this morning and sharing with our listeners. I absolutely loved your talk with Consciousness Hackers earlier this month, or I guess that was last month already. Mm -hmm. And I just really wanted to dive a little bit deeper or share or even just spread your message about what life is like as a former Buddhist monk turned clinical psychologist. Uh-huh. <laughs> I, the way I say it, you know, I was, I was a monk for really a short period of time compared to the rest of my life, but I really haven't taken the robes off my heart. So while I'm not a monk, you know, I have the Buddhist teachings and I have the love of the Dharma wrapped around me. And that's kind of the place I live from. Oh, that's great. So you wouldn't even go so far as to say former monk. Oh, well, of course, you know, it's definitely no longer a monk, mm. no longer a monk, a lay person married, mm. you know, uh, but yes, form, formerly a monk at one period. But, you know, I've been doing this work or the practice for over 22 years now. So the period of being a monk was just a, it was a, a window into deep stillness, nurturance in nature. And I really, what I say, have to bring the forest into the city. Um mm. So I'm trying to be the best lay person I can be now. Mm-hmm. Mm, I love that. Was there ever a point when you were growing up when you thought, hey, you know, I have a feeling that things might up- end up this way? I had a feeling I would be used. I had lots oh, of energy, yeah. I had big, big ideas, um, full, full of life. And I had no idea how I was going to be used, but I just knew I would be used. And it's coming to that place where I'm like, Oh yeah. Yeah. sometimes I'm like, can you use me a little bit less? And so I'm learning to try to take more breaks and and really practice good self-care. But there was a point when I was young, I just, I just had a feeling that I, uh, I had a a lot of energy to use for service in the world. Oh, and what did that, what did that show up as? Um, It showed up as me doing the Peace Corps, doing AmeriCorps, showed up as me getting two masters and a doctorate. It showed up as me um, founding communities everywhere I go that 
I teach people how to sustain running communities, spiritual communities, or health and well-being communities. It's it showed up in, in my service to my patients every day. Um, and early as a teen, it showed up as me being a musician and me being in uh, in touch with a larger range of people. I always had a huge group of friends, different types of people I could relate to. So it really showed up as me being present with people in a, in a really sincere, authentic way. Mm. Mm-hmm. Wow. And in all of your explorations and your experiences, what do you think are the big contributing factors to a person's overall wellness or well-being? Uh, perspective, world, worldview, res- personal resilience, the ability to go through a challenge and learn from it, grow and say, yes, I can do, I can do it differently next time. Even when it's a traumatic experience, mm. we'll go through and then come out going, you know what, that sucked. Um, but here, what I learned and here's what I can do. I just, I just did a, uh, an interview on Tuesday and she was asking what's the feeling of resilience. And I, and I say, it, it's the feeling of um, I'll find a way. That's the thought. The thought is I'll find a way. The feeling is one of empowerment and confidence. Um, so yeah, doing, doing things that really m- encourage that kind of empowerment and confidence. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yes. Has there ever been a point where you brought, and this is going to be a bit of a cheeky question, but has there ever been a point where you brought all of that to a certain situation or relationship or even just day to day and the other person just could not meet you there? Oh, sure. Yeah, of course. You know, when, when I was learning nonviolent communication, which, which um, now uh, learning mindful nonviolent communication, mm-hmm. We, we understand fundamentally that we are approaching the situation different than others may, and we have no control over how they interact with us. We do have some control or a lot of how we respond back. And so I'm often encountering either in my patients, and I don't call it resistance, maybe they're not ready or willing yet to do the work or do the put in the effort to make their own changes, or even with my wife when we're in conversations and things don't feel quite right, but how do I approach the situation regardless of how they're approaching it? I kind of have to adapt and adjust as I'm going with them. Oh, they're not taking the bait and this one, they're not really feeling what I'm saying. So let me go in a different direction. Um, that's, that's how I've learned. It's really about an adaptation and adjustment to each situation as it arises, but keeping grounded in my own skills so I can look in any direction and be met by people who might not meet me in the same way and really learn to speak their language uh, while keeping grounded in my own values, really my own um, set of beliefs or way of being. Mm -hmm. Mm. It sounds like it takes some finesse to it. And it's, I think it's something that we sort of need time to develop. Would you agree with that? Oh yeah. You know, I'm, I'm from, a non-dual tradition where everything is just perfect as it is Mm. and we can always keep working on it. So it's both, it's both, there's an underlying way uh, to the universe that's already perfect and whole and unbroken. I can rest in my own unbroken wholeness. I can help people rest in theirs. And it's still a process of the human being refining herself or himself. And 
where the dualistic kind of um, way of looking at it is I'm starting here and I'm going to end over there through this process and I can't get there unless I do this process. The non-dual approach is one that says it's already whole and unbroken. The process is rediscovering and remembering that over and over again. And so the, the finesse is that I learn to keep refining myself instead of getting angry when I feel it, I recognize it, I sit with it, and I respond with compassion, loving kindness, understanding, firmness, curiosity, whatever it is. And that, that, that takes a while to train ourselves to do that consistently. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But what do you think the reward of being able to do that is? Love. Mm. Love. We, we get to experience love of ourselves and other people because once we work through conflict and if we do it skillfully we can actually bring love to the conflict and then of course we're enveloped in it as we're as we're talking to one another even when i'm angry there's can be an underlying feeling tone of love that's set and it's not the human love that's based on mood it's a really unconditioned unbounded love that can be infused in our way we speak even when we're firm there can still so when we're doing that the end result is feeling connected and feeling love. So what a win. Uh, what a win when we do it this way. Wow. Wow, this is all really top level. <laughs> this is pretty deep here. And I'm... I just started. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I'm thinking about your patients in your clinical practice. And I'm curious about what sort of interaction that you have with them and where people are coming to you on their journeys and then where you're sending them to. Okay. Those are three, three questions. Let me, I have to actually write that down. So like, who am I seeing basically who comes to, who comes to see me? Yeah. Or just where they're at on their journey. Yeah. So um, let's start with that. I, I generally kind of see people coming in at three distinct places. There's, spectrums here it's not like i label them oh here this is where you at but over my over my work my career i've seen this people who are not stable and ungrounded they're in a place of survival mm. i've had folks who've come with you know guns to their mouths two weeks before seeing me and in total despair um but ready. So everybody who comes to me has to be ready for the work. I've had patients who are not ready for the work and it doesn't, it doesn't work with my style because I'm very direct. I'm kind of cutting through narratives very quickly and it's abrupt, um, done with love and care. But, um, if people are ready, they can tolerate it. If they're not ready, they can't tolerate my style and I can refer them. So the first level is survival. People just coming in, I need to get my life together. I'm, I'm ungrounded. I'm not regulated emotionally. Mm. And then, then there's the second place of grounding. It's like they've come out of a swamp of despair and they're on dry land for the first time in a while. And they need to know how to feel grounded in that position that they're in. So the first place I, I meet people is if they're in survival mode. The second place I may meet people is in a place of like they're, they're, they're surviving, but they're really needing grounding, equanimity, they're needing to start expanding into who they want to become after they've grounded. So grounding is the second place. And the third place is thriving. People who are out of survival, they've already grounded, and they're really ready to create a future self. And they just don't know how to do it because they're still wrapped up in old habits and conditions. And so 
they come to me, they're really doing well, but they're like, I'm ready to live my fullest life now. How do I get to that place? And then I help them uh, create visions of who they want to be. So these are the three kind of distinct places that I meet people. Wow. Mm -hmm. And you typically would, do you think it moves linear or is it like? No. Interchange. Okay, there you go. <laughs> it's like a spiral. You know, you, you're, you're hitting the same challenges, but you're doing it from a different level. So uh, I, I picture it as a, a, a graph, a line graph that, that goes upward, but with many dips. Yeah. But each dip does not go as low as the first place they've come in. The baseline where they're coming in, they're moving away from that. But each time they dip, it generally doesn't go as low or lower than where they've come because they're doing the work now. But they will dip and they will have low points. And I have to remind them, uh, is, this the, is this lower than when you came in? You know, mm -hmm. is, this, is this harder? And sometimes it, it is exactly where they came in and then they see it so clearly. I had a patient who has agoraphobic, uh, agoraphobia with panic attacks. She's really afraid of being embarrassed so much she doesn't want to go out in public. And then she has panic attacks about going out in public. And we've worked really um, diligently at giving her some grounding and love and tools. And she had a panic attack the other day and she goes, it's, it's worse than it's ever been. And I said, is it, is it really, or is it just that this is what it used to feel like? And now you're used to actually feeling better. And um, he was really able to see that, Oh yeah, I used to feel like this all the time. Thank God I don't anymore. And so she had two bad days. That's okay. Mm. You know? And that reminds me of something that I heard once or twice where everybody, the person was basically saying that everyone thinks the future is uncertain mm -hmm. and is the only thing that can be changed. Whereas people don't realize that the past can change as well too, because once you see things in a different light, then all of a sudden what you thought was true might not. Totally. And there's a fun, there's a, a very interesting phenomenon of doing what we call inner child work, but in a way where you're, you've become grounded, resilient here in the moment. And then we bring forward visions of that child that was really hurt or, or tortured. I've worked with people who've been tortured and, and then the adult who's sitting in the room goes back to the past and gives so much love and nurturance and attention to that the part of them and the child who didn't get that, who in fact violated violently. Mm. And that changes, there's some way that changes the past. We do have some interesting data out of the Institute of Noetic Sciences about doing healing for, for, for the past and how that changes the present, your own physiology in the present. It's an interesting, I, I I don't think I understand it myself, so I'm not going to go into it because I would just make shit up and we don't want to do that. <laughs> but I'll tell you, I'll, I'll give you an example of what it might look like. And this might be woo-woo for your listeners, but it's fascinating. I had a patient who used to be locked in a closet as a child and um, she would be, she felt this visitation from somebody. Uh, she felt a presence in the room with her, which gave her um, a sense of safety and a sense of hope. And we started doing this incredible deep healing of that child self here in the room. And I wondered aloud, I was just wondering, what, what if the presence was her in the future coming back to her in the past? Oh. Like, what if? 
Mm. You know, we have that movie with Matthew McConaughey. I don't remember. It's of the space movie where the phenomenon he's observing is him in the future coming to that present moment. And what, what if that would be true? I don't know if it is, but what if? How incredibly powerful that we're the presence we're needing mm. to heal. Wow, I bet that I bet that resonated with a lot of listeners. I hope so, and I have no idea. I always ask people be skeptical but open minded and curious. That's it. Mm. Interesting though, right? That is that is super interesting and absolutely something that I'll need to look into after this conversation and moving forward. Me too. Me too. That's so interesting. Wow. And what do you what do you feel like your wish is? moving forward for all the people that you work with or interact with? My wish. That's an, I don't, I don't think in wishes. Let me, mm. let me translate that. What, what, yeah. would, what would be my vision for people that they awaken to their mm. truer, deeper natures of stillness, spacious awareness in which things are arising in which their own personalities are arising. And they have a real sense of freedom from the, the struggle of attaching so hard to who they think um, they are. Yeah. Yeah. And, and then out of that, they contribute to others' well-being. Mm. That was going to be my question, that do you think it's possible to be fully awake without being in some sort of helping or teaching or serving role? Well, that's interesting because that would place my judgment on what it meant to be fully awake. And mm. I don't know if I can answer what it really means to be fully awake from every person's perspective. What I can say is the more awake I become to the interdependent nature of our existence, that we are wrapped up in each other's lives. We're wrapped up in the health of our planet. Our food uh, is wrapped up in the health of our farmers and the soil and all of us touch each other in ways uh, that are usually unconscious and very subtle. So when I wake up, I realize I have a responsibility to take care of myself for the sake of others. And then I have a responsibility to help others take care of themselves. So I, I'm healthy. And so, cause mm-hmm. we're all dependent on each other. And for me, I've been spending 20 years in the social justice field because the more awake I become, how can I not, advocate for people whose 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 rights to water and food and education is diminished because of various um isms you know racism sexism homophobia how can i not help communities who are suffering based on those kinds of forms of hatred and and ignorance i can't not help at this point so yeah most people i observe waking up end up helping others but I have met fully awakened beings in the forests and temples of Thailand who just sit in caves and that's mm-hmm. their service to the world. So I'm not judging them for not serving in a different way. Mm. Interesting. Yeah. Is there anything else you can share about your social justice pursuits? Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, I, like I said, spelt, spent over about 20 years refining myself and looking closely at any biases, underlying prejudices and judgments I have of other cultures of Mm. different types of people, because I can't do social justice work without doing the introspection, what I call cultural introspection that's needed because then I end up hurting the very community I'm serving 
by honest, you know, these kind of unintended microaggressions or there's some kinds of like biases that are undiscovered in me that are coming out and like, come on, you can do a little better. You know, even saying something like that could be really hurtful and pejorative. So I have to watch myself. This is social justice work really is going inward and where are my biases hurting other people doing that first and then helping our communities and by advocating for resources and mm-hmm. fairness. Yeah. Interesting. When it comes to language that we use with others, what role do you think intention plays? Uh, that's a, a question. Intention itself is a whole topic we could spend. Mm-hmm. Intention is, for me, one of the most powerful tools to change a human being's life. So mm-hmm. just saying that, foundationally, the in, in intention gives our brains, our bodies, our mind, our consciousness direction where we're heading next. So in terms of language with other people, are you speaking about communication, about interpersonal relationships? Uh, what exactly are you asking? Yeah, about sometimes how we can relate to others and accidentally offend someone, but it wasn't our intention to do so. Yeah, so in the social justice realm and in the cultural psychology realm in which I come from, uh, we have a saying called intent versus impact. And this was hard for me because I came from, hey, my intention is da-da-da-da, and my teacher's like, great, but are you hearing the impact of what you've said on another person? I'm like, yeah, yeah, I get I get she's hurt by what I said, but she has to know that I have this intention. And my teacher's like, actually, no, you have to know that what you said, regardless of your intention, had an impact. And whether you're right or wrong, can you hold and honor their their feelings and just sit with that discomfort that what you said had an impact before you try to explain yourself. Mm. Such a hard shift for me to make uh, because I'm like, but I'm, I'm good and I'm right. And, and does it matter when your partner's hurting that you're right? Mm. Um, you know, and, 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 and in some way, that's some of that is their work to do. Why are they being hurt by language? And I understand it can be very hurtful. Are they, it, but that's not my role. It's not my role to teach them how not to be sensitive to what I'm saying. It's my role to care for my impact mm-hmm. and to acknowledge it and to really reflect. Is something I'm saying uh, needing to be readjusted? Is something a belief in me having to be reviewed? sometimes it doesn't sometimes it's just like that person's internalizing something and they're interpreting other times yeah what i have said actually i need to review my beliefs right there Mm. it's very vulnerable work yeah and my my hope for the future too is that we place more of an emphasis on this this uh caliber of conversation when people are younger but also the other side of it too is I think a bit of resilience and understanding that there is, there's more going on than what might meet the eye. Or, okay. yeah. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Yeah. A lot of people do interpret, you know, one of, I gave a talk uh, called who's the listener anyway. And the talk is about who in you is listening. So Mike, the guy who's talking to you is afraid of rejection. Right. And so He's listening for signs of rejection. Did, did that tone just change? Did she get, or did he get a certain way where he's backing away? You know, like my rejection monitor is on 10. And 
that monitor is going to find things Mm. that reinforce, oh yeah, I'm being rejected. Totally. And instead, (laughs) you know, which is puts me in a really painful place because now I'm feeling rejected, even though that person's like, I just said, I have to go take care of my kids right now. And you're like, Mm. are you not, you know, I'm like, are you not wanting to be friends? I'm, I'm, this is not actually tongue in cheek. People do it to this level, right? You have a friend who's like, I can't hang out tonight. And that person's like, Oh shit, they don't want to be my friend anymore. And, um, that causes us so much pain. It's caused me so much pain. So I'm very careful about who's listening, who in me is listening. Um, because there's ways that we reinforce old habits and conditions in ourselves. We need to be aware of. Yeah. What do you think of, what do you think of the belief that there is no way to erase or quiet negative thoughts and that you just have to focus on something else or focus on change your thoughts to something positive because there's no squashing them or getting rid of them. There's just focusing on something else. I don't think if I'll tell you, my perspective is anytime anyone says there's never da, 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 da. I'm like, (laughs) "Eh, no, no, not true. When someone says there's always da da da, I'm like, hmm, hyperbole again, not true. So the, everything is possible. Everything mm-hmm. we want to create is possible. It just might not look the way we expect it to. And so when we're talking about negative thinking, I have I have transformed my inner critic to be an ally so that it talks to me in critical but positive ways. Hey, Mike, don't do that. That's going to hurt. Hey, Mike, Mm -hmm. careful. Be careful of doing that because you know where that leads. I'm like, now I can go like, yeah, thanks. I'm going to screw up anyway on purpose, but I appreciate it. Instead of talking to myself so, so negatively, which I did for many years, as most human beings do, I learned what we called a transition or transform the inner critic to an ally, an adversary to an ally. Um. Other times negativity will come in and then I, and I go to the underlying feeling, which is usually shame or, or sadness or remorse. And then I can just nurture myself around that. So instead of getting in a conversation with my negativity or being beaten down by it, I'm like, what am I feeling? I'm oh yeah, normally it's like I'm ashamed or something. And then I can sit and nurture myself with compassion and love and then discern what do I want to do different next time, you know? Um, so that negativity then becomes a tool of growth. So I, why kick it out if you can investigate it? Mm. How do we give, sorry, how do we give people the tools to be able to investigate it? It's work. It is work and it, it is intention. It is a diligent, concentrated effort to going, I'm ready to transform my inner critic to something positive and useful. And it can be done. I've done it. It doesn't mean I'm not hard on myself from time to time, but I again, look at that and go, what, what needs to be different? Yeah. I'm hard on myself because I'm not living up to my values. So it's never a hundred percent like, Oh, I have no negative thinking, but what you're asking is how do we give people tools? They have to do, be willing to do the work to go into the therapist, into their teacher, his office and go, Hey, I'm struggling with this. Can you give me a practice that I can do? And I will check back in with you about how that's going. Mm. I hold my patients accountable. You know, what did you do this week? What did you do differently? What was it like for you? Where did you succeed? Where were you challenged? 
And when they come in and go, I didn't do anything. I'm like, oh, so you're, you're actually not interested in changing that. Right. Mm. Yeah. And then we talk about that. We're like, are you actually wanting to do this? It's a lot of work. And they sometimes they're like, no, actually I'm kind of just, I'm okay this way. I'm like, cool. You know, and that's, at least you know where you're at. Mm. Yeah. We have so much potential to be the people we want to be. And it takes a lot of dedicated work and, and energy and effort. And then it becomes easier because you have a model how to do it. The work then becomes remembering to do it. The first part of effort is learning it. The second part is uh, reflecting and reminding yourself. And then the third part is like, smoother sailing where when you hit a storm you kind of just automatically know these things you're doing it comes to you just much more naturally without any effort Mm. yeah that's really good that's there's a there's a lot even to unpack in that too totally yeah you mean we're we're jumping topics right and and but it's all about human transformation and growth each one of these things could be a show on themselves, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I believe you. There's definitely, yeah. mm-hmm. there's definitely unlimited direction and unlimited things that we can do, and that is sort of in our nature as, as humans, I think. And I think that in my generation especially that we're, we're seeing now is sometimes all of that potential scares people. Oh, totally. Totally. Right. If you remember my talk from San San Diego Consciousness Hackers, it was Mm -hmm. stepping past the edge of fear into the unknown. Mm. So fear is like a dark forest. And a lot of times people stop right at the edge of it. I'm not going in there. And then they ask, Yoda, what's in there? And Yoda says, only what you bring with you. And then they start understanding all the fear is projected. Now, it doesn't mean that fear is unfounded. Some people, many people have been very hurt by other people. Fear can be founded. Yet in the very moment we're facing something new, if there's no threat, then the fear is unfounded in that moment. It doesn't mean you don't go through the forest cautiously, mindfully going, hey, I've been hurt by this kind of thing before four but it also means you don't stop at the edge of the forest you go through it and what most people find is at the end of that scary scary forest that they said yes to going through are vistas or valleys that are unimagined beforehand Mm. so whatever you know what you're talking about how scary it is to have an unlimited you know open future you, you have to be willing to go into the scary parts of, of yourself to get through it, to see what's on the other side. Yeah. And I always think of emotions like a clock or like a wheel where fear and excitement are just one tick away from each other. Oh, totally. Right. You know, where it's one, one little toggle. You could be on one side or, or, the, or the next or tell your brain where you're at. Yeah, nervous and excited are very close to one another. Mm-hmm. And then you go toward nervous to anxious, which then goes farther from excited. And then you go toward fear. So, yeah, that color wheel, that the emotion wheel, there's so many mm-hmm. kind of a spectrum. And people have to be willing 
to tolerate some, well, tolerate a lot of feelings, sensation, and emotions to become the person they want to become. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I just thought of this, but I've heard of generalized anxiety disorder, but I wonder if there's anyone who would consider themselves having like generalized excitement all the time or enthusiastic. But I guess at that point, we typically wouldn't call positive things disorder or, sure, sure. or things like that. And then, yeah. uh, and most uh, the joke is like, who wants to be around uber positive people? Cause it gets like, <laughs> Oh, it's annoying. Life sucks too. You know, <laughs> it's funny. We try to reinforce yeah. the other side when we're around positive people sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it's, it's really interesting. Uh, okay. If you, if you were to give, a challenge to the average listener and, and people who are listening right now, just a one week or a two week invitation to make one small change. What would that change be? I would start with being aware of yourself without judging what you're seeing. Simply start by watching how your mind talks to you, watching how your body feels when your mind is talking to you. Watch how you talk in your mind about other people and watch how your body responds as your mind talks about other people. I would challenge, I, not challenge, I'd encourage everyone listening to spend one full week simply watching. So let me take one step back. I would ask each person to create an intention for themselves. How do they want to change? What do they want just a little bit different? Let's say they want peace or they want a sense of well-being, or they want to feel safe with themselves, or maybe they want to respond and not be contentious with other people. They want to be curious and care, you know, careful and curious with others instead of contentious. So I would say first set an intention. And then I would say, watch yourself doing the opposite. Mm. Watch how often you do the contention thing. Uh, I got a client who found a character in him he calls contentious Ken Mm. and he watches how often contentious Ken arises in conversations with his wife, with colleagues, with his, with his staff. And he, in one week, he was so surprised to see how often contentious Ken showed up instead of, instead of him, like his, you know, his other characters. So I would, I would say to everybody, make an intention. What do you want for yourself differently? And then watch how often you're doing the thing you don't want to be doing without judgment. Just watch. You'll be, you'll be surprised how often this stuff is happening. And then you'll get a sense of, Oh wow, I have a lot, I have work to do. So Mm -hmm. intention, setting an intention and then being aware this week is what I would ask listeners to do. Oh, that's beautiful. I love that. All right. Well, that feels like a really beautiful way to close. And I thank you so much for being here with us this morning and being so open and everything that you've shared. I feel like our listeners are really going to take a lot away from this episode. And it might be one of those things where people walk away with more questions than answers, but (laughs) I think that's just part of it. And I so thank you and appreciate you for taking the time out of your morning to be interviewed. Oh, it's, it's my pleasure to speak with you and to send the message of love and, you know, and potential. Um, I'm just really excited for people who get excited 
about changing their lives because we know the more we're doing our work, the better our communities, country, world becomes. So it's my pleasure to do this work. And thank you for taking time to interview me. Oh, thank you so much. Have a great day. Okay, take good care. Bye. Bye. Once again, big thanks to Dr. Michael Sapiro for coming on the show today. We really appreciated having you, and that was so cool. You can check out how to get in touch with him in the show notes, or just Google Dr. Michael Sapiro. That's S-A-P-I-R-O. Thanks, Michael. Thanks for listening. Show notes are online at betterandbetterer.com. Find a buddy to try out this episode's challenge. We want to hear how it goes, so hit us up on Instagram at betterandbetterer.com.